The following podcast was made possible by the sponsorship of Teresa Leong Lee and by Catholic Digital Resources, where you can find downloadable faith formation resources and evangelization tools. Visit Catholic Digital Resources at CatholicDR.com to build your own faith and the faith of others. That's CatholicDR.com. Good News Ministries of GNM.org presents Footsteps to Heaven. Life's a journey full of challenges. Sometimes we get stalled. Sometimes we get sidetracked. When we walk with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to the destination that God the Father designed for us, the results are better than we could ask for or imagine. And now, here is your host, Terry Modica. There is something burdening my heart today that I reluctantly talk about in this episode. It is not something that I really want to do, but I feel necessary to do. The Gospel reading at Sunday Mass was about the multiplication of the loaves and fish. The priest who gave the homily at the Mass that I attended preached the heresy that I have heard all too often down through the years. The heresy that it was not a supernatural miracle when the loaves and the fish, the food was multiplied so much that there were 12 basketfuls left over afterwards. The heresy, maybe you've heard it, is that really the people had brought the food with them, but they weren't sharing it. And the real miracle is that Jesus convinced everybody to share their food with each other so that everybody had more than enough. The reason why I call it a heresy is because if we are to believe that Jesus did not perform a supernatural miracle of the multiplication of a meager amount of food, then why should anyone believe that Jesus does the miracle of multiplying himself in the Eucharistic feast, the Eucharistic banquet that we celebrate at Mass. Why should anyone believe that the bread and the wine are supernaturally changed into the real body and blood of Jesus Christ? I mean, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't smell like it. It doesn't taste like it, unless the Lord is giving you a supernatural experience of it. Jesus multiplies himself through the miracle of the Eucharist at every Mass. The multiplication of the loaves and fish, that incident was a precursor. I mean, this is what the Church teaches. It was a precursor to the Eucharist and the institution of the Eucharist. So if one miracle didn't happen really supernaturally, why should we believe that the miracle at Mass happens? See what I mean? How blasphemous this is. It comes from a lack of understanding that miracles are supposed to be happening today. That the supernatural is supposed to be normal, everyday life for a Christian. There is a lot of misunderstanding of Scripture, of the miracles of Jesus in Scripture, because we are not alive in the Holy Spirit as a church. There are many priests, and here's where I'm going to get into trouble possibly, there are many priests who do not have a full relationship with the Holy Spirit, a fully alive relationship with the Holy Spirit, which typically comes from what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 
which is presented to us throughout the church in the Life in the Spirit seminar, but it's not the only way to receive a full, personal, fully activated relationship with the Holy Spirit. There are other ways that this lack of living fully alive in the Holy Spirit is harming the church. And this episode, unfortunately, I am zeroing in on the clergy because they are called to be our shepherd. They are called to awaken in all of us a hunger for a life that is fully alive in the Holy Spirit. So many clergy that I have experienced and that I have heard from people who have experienced it. There's a burden on my heart over what is lacking in the church through lacking a life that is fully alive in the Holy Spirit. We need to pray in all of us who feel this frustration and this sadness. We need to be praying for the whole church, but starting with ourselves. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me. Come, Holy Spirit, fill your church today. Give us a new Pentecost. Does that sound familiar? It is one of the official prayers of the church to be praying for the Holy Spirit to come and give us a new Pentecost and renew the body of Christ today and renew the face of the earth through the body of Christ today. There are so many ways that the lack of being fully alive in the Holy Spirit is detrimentally affecting the church through our clergy. I am not just pointing my finger at the clergy. This is a problem amongst all believers who are not fully alive in the Holy Spirit. And even those of us who are, who value that relationship with the Holy Spirit and do what we can every day to to come fully alive. Come Holy Spirit, fill me. When we are not fully doing what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do, that is sin and we need to repent of that. And it happens every day we need to examine our consciences. So I'm not pointing my fingers just at the clergy. But, sadly, this episode is primarily about the clergy because this is how urgent the situation is and how important it is that we be praying for our priests. Praying for them to come fully alive in the Holy Spirit. Praying for the Holy Spirit to come and blow through the church and help the church be all that we are called to be in unity, laity and priests together. But one of the ways that I hear so much about from people who are grieving and frustrated because their clergy are not alive in the Holy Spirit is in legalism. It is in how... Some priests, certainly not all, some priests nitpick about the way we worship. I knew a priest once, for example, who wanted his altar servers to fold their hands in a certain way throughout the Mass. And when they didn't do that, when they got a little lazy or if they forgot to do it, Right there during the Mass, he would give them the evil eye. He would give them a look that says, you're doing bad. He would put his hands in the position he wanted the altar servers to have their hands in and show it to them as a reminder of what they are supposed to be doing. But the whole congregation saw it. How embarrassing for those kids. How many of them thought about quitting being an altar server? I don't know. How many of them, and this happened many years ago, how many of them are fully alive in the faith now? 
fully attending church now, and, and it might not be because of an incident like that. It could be an accumulation of a whole bunch of that kind of attitude. This is an example of how clergy, with the best of intentions, but a lack of listening to the Holy Spirit, who gives us compassion, has harmed the church. Because it is compassion, the compassion of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit fills us with when we are doing what God the Father calls us to do. But when we get caught up in nitpicking about the way things are done, compassion goes out the window. I've heard of priests who have nitpicked about the way people come up in the communion line. I will admit it right here, taking a risk for the sake of the glory of God and for the sake of the people who have suffered this same type of nitpicking, lack of compassion, lack of spirit-filled shepherding. When Ralph and I get into the communion line, we pull up side by side to receive communion side by side as a witness of the sacredness of marriage, of the union that we are called to have as husband and wife. But there are some clergy who say, and it's founded on good ideas and good theology, but there's something missing in the nitpicking that they do. Some clergy say that it is wrong to be side by side in receiving communion because we look different than the people who are not side by side, as if we want to draw attention to ourselves. And some clergy also say that it ruins the unity of the parish. Everybody doing the same thing is what creates unity. Doing everything in Mass the same way, whether everybody in the parish raises their hands at a certain point in Mass or don't raise their hands, whether we kneel together or don't kneel together. There are some differences, for example, in when to kneel. In some dioceses around the world, we are to stand at certain places. In other dioceses, we are to kneel. And when I've seen it, when somebody comes from one of those other parishes, they come to our parish and they stand while everyone else is kneeling. Now, granted, yes, my attention is drawn to that person. It's a distraction, but it is temporary because it is my responsibility to get my focus back on the Lord. It is everyone's responsibility to keep our focus on Jesus, not on the priest, not on the person who's doing things a little bit differently, but on Jesus. Unity in a parish does not come from everybody looking the same and doing everything the same way. Unity comes from love. Unity comes from loving each other the way Christ loves us. Please understand that I am not promoting rebellion. I am not promoting disobedience. Let me explain what the general instruction of the Roman Missal really says on this issue. First of all, understand that there are degrees of required compliance, various degrees. 
which means that the weight of the norms vary. They're called norms. They are not called laws. These are not church laws. These are norms. This is what is supposed to be normal worship. And there's different weight applied in the instructions, indicated by the words must, should, and may. We're to be neither overly rigid nor overly lax in using the instructions. What the general instruction of the Roman Missal says about posture in the communion line is not meant as a rigid law, but as a preferred guideline. And it forbids, this is a stronger rule, the denial of communion to those who choose to kneel instead of bow. We need to understand that the general instructions is an international document written to provide the broadest of guidelines in view of the many legitimate alternatives employed in the Eucharistic liturgy around the world. Okay, It is not a hard and fast black and white set of rules. It's not at the same level as moral teachings, for example, of the church, which are black and white. Paragraph number five of the instruction says that the celebration of the Eucharist, like the entire liturgy, involves the use of outward signs that foster, strengthen, and express faith. There must be the utmost care, therefore, to choose and to make wise use of those forms and elements provided by the church that, in view of the circumstances of the people and the place, will best foster active and full participation and serve the spiritual well-being of the faithful. What this is saying is that if there is any legalistic, black and white, here's what you must do and what you must not do, what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do, fall in line, do it exactly as I say. If that is the motivation behind being told that we cannot do what our consciences and our personal relationship with God is telling us to do, there's something wrong there. Because what is most important is the fostering of active and full participation and the spiritual well-being of the faithful. Now regarding movements and postures during receiving communion, paragraph 20 says that the uniformity in standing, kneeling, or sitting to be observed by all is a sign of the community and of the unity of the assembly. This is what our priests are referring to, rightfully so when they tell us that we are to be doing the same thing in the communion line as everyone else. This is a sign of community and unity. It both expresses, this paragraph says, and fosters the spiritual attitude of those taking part. Expresses and fosters the spiritual attitude. Why? What is it really saying here? What is the bottom line of this? The uniformity is about the spiritual attitude. What spiritual attitude? What's the bottom line of anything? Love. The unity that comes from love. Paragraph 62 says, In the celebration of Mass, the faithful are a holy people, a people God has made his own, a royal priesthood. See, that's what happens, my friend, when we fully participate in the Mass. Mass itself reconverts us and I say reconvert because every time we go back to Mass, 
This is what's happening. We are being reconverted. Letting go of our sins that pull us away from this and being reconverted into being a holy people, a royal priesthood. And that's referring to the priesthood of the common people, the priesthood of the laity, not the ministerial priesthood, but the common priesthood. They, this common priesthood, should endeavor to make this clear that we are a holy people. Make this clear by their deep sense of reverence for God and their charity toward all who share with them in the celebration. Again, it's about love. Love for God and love for each other. This paragraph continues. They, therefore, are to shun any appearance of individualism or division, keeping before their mind that they have the one Father in heaven and therefore all are brothers and sisters to each other. Did you get that? It's talking about the purpose of uniformity in receiving communion is the unity of love, shunning anything that is divisive. Now, what is divisive? Divisive isn't that one person comes up by himself and then the next people in line come up side by side because they're a couple. That would be the same thing as one person is hobbling because they have a broken foot and another person is walking nice and smoothly. These are differences. These are individual ways of approaching Jesus in the Eucharist to receive him. What the general instructions are referring to is the love that's underneath it. The individualism that is to be shunned is the divisiveness of, for example, if someone kneels to receive communion and makes it known at any time, outside of Mass included, makes it known that they think that people who don't kneel are wrong, are sinning because they're not being reverent enough, that's being judgmental, that's sinning. That's being divisive. Likewise, if someone comes up to receive communion with great reverence and chooses to kneel, we must not judge them. If we're not the the type of person who kneels but bows as we've been told to do, we're not to judge them. We're not to say, oh, they're being rebellious because we don't know what's going on in their heart. If we judge them, we are being divisive, even though we are doing things the quote-unquote right way. When priests nitpick, they do a disservice to Christ because they are drawing attention to something other than Jesus himself with the best of intentions, the best of reasons. But when one is fully alive in the Holy Spirit, filled with the compassion of Jesus Christ, What happens is the priest makes a whole homily about unity being based on love. Understanding that people express their faith in different ways that are meaningful to them. A good homily on this would include that if we are going to do something that looks a little different than everybody else out of love for others, that we don't do it in a way that is really attention-getting. We minimize the difference as much as possible without losing the difference. And if there is any misunderstanding, the priest in a good homily clears up that misunderstanding. If somebody, for example, sees my husband, Ralph, and myself 
going up side by side for communion and they stop and think, oh my gosh, look at them. They are practicing disunity with the parish. And you know what? I don't think there is anybody there who is saying that. But if they are, a good homilist will say they are showing what the sacrament of marriage means to them. They are not being disunified with the parish. They are in unity with the parish evangelizing about the sacrament of marriage, in love for everyone else who is present in that Mass. They are demonstrating what the sacrament of marriage means to them. I'd like to share with you what Bishop Robert Barron has written in his Letter to a Suffering Church. He wrote this little book, this Letter to a Suffering Church, because of the sexual abuse crisis. But what I'm about to read from this book applies to the whole situation of a priesthood that is not fully alive in the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? The Holy Spirit makes us holy. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to help us live out the holiness that we are called to live. Bishop Barron begins his letter this way. It has been a diabolical masterpiece. He says, I'm talking about the scandal that has gripped the Catholic Church for the past 30 years and that continues to wreak havoc even today. Yes, he is talking here about this particular problem of sexual abuse and the covering up of abuse by people in the hierarchy who knew about it. But remember, the problems go much farther wide This is the burden that I feel called to speak about here. The problem goes much further than the sexual abuse scandal. As a matter of fact, I propose that there is a deeper problem that allowed the sexual abuses and the cover-ups to happen. The deeper problem being that the Holy Spirit has been stifled in the church. Because of this lack of being fully alive in the Holy Spirit, we have given room for the devil to do much. This is what I believe is at the root of the sexual abuse scandal and all other forms of abuse from the clergy. And I'm talking about the heresies that are preached in homilies. I am talking about the nitpicking, about the right and wrong ways of doing things, and the many other ways that people have been hurt by clergy. What bothers me is that we don't hear enough about those other ways that the clergy has hurt people and have been anti-evangelization and have driven people away. The sexual abuses of minors is just part of the problem. The cover-ups of this is part of the problems. What about the sexual abuse of willing people who have cooperated with priests who wanted to have sex with them as their adults? Whether it's a woman who has an affair with a priest, or a priest who goes out and finds male prostitutes. I, many years ago, helped a priest who was struggling with this problem of, you know, he kept going out to find male prostitutes to have sex with. And he wanted to overcome this problem. So I know the problem exists, and exists all too much, but do you ever hear it addressed? There are many ways that priests scandalize that we don't talk about. 
and we need to talk about it and it needs to be brought out into the surface and this is why I'm afraid that this podcast is going to bring me persecution because I am choosing to speak about it. Bishop Barron writes in the beginning of his letter, When I was going through the seminary, it was fashionable to conceive of the devil as a symbol for the evil of the world, a sort of colorful literary device. But the storm of wickedness that has compromised the work of the church in every way, and that has left countless lives in ruins, and to that I'll add, countless lives who have left the church, which is a different kind of ruins. He's talking about being sexually abused. I'm talking about every other way as well that people have been hurt by the clergy and have left the church or have left the faith. And this is a terrible, terrible loss as well. Bishop Barron says that this storm of wickedness that has compromised the work of the church in every way and has left countless lives in ruins is just too ingenious to have been the result of impersonal forces alone or merely human contrivance. It is so thoroughly thought through, so comprehensively intentional. He's talking about demonic strategies. Years ago, I met someone who was a satanic high priest who converted to Christ. And he told me that he was raised, he was raised in Satan worship, and he was raised to believe that good is evil and evil is good, and that this is what their mission, their calling from Satan was, to evangelize the world, especially Christians, that evil is good and good is evil. We're seeing that today, lived out in the world, you know, abortion is considered good instead of evil. And to speak up against abortion is considered evil instead of good by the world. But also consider how has that same strategy been infiltrating the church in other ways? It's not just about seeing good as evil and evil as good. It's about seeing evil and remaining silent about it. It's about knowing what is wrong and remaining silent about it because we are afraid. We lay people are afraid of speaking up against the clergy because we're not supposed to do so. We're not allowed to do so. Nonsense. If we don't speak up, nothing changes. But, my friend, we have to be willing to be persecuted for it because we will be. Because you know what? When somebody has been sleeping in darkness, and I'm saying that people, including clergy, who are good Christians, good Catholics, who are not fully alive in the Holy Spirit, we are sleeping. Part of our faith is dormant. And when somebody is asleep in the darkness, and here I refer to The darkness that Satan wants, which is the lie that we don't need more of the Holy Spirit than what we have. We don't need to be alive in faith for the supernatural. We don't need to have such a strong relationship with the Holy Spirit that he changes our thinking on things to make us holy. That is the darkness. The darkness that says, you're fine the way you are. When somebody is asleep in darkness, what happens? Think about, you know, In your house, somebody's asleep in a bedroom and you turn on a light and you wake them up with this very bright light. Are they happy about that? No, they are grumpy. 
when we expose the truth in the light. By turning on the light, we make people grumpy. But we need to be willing to face that. Because it is diabolical to be quiet, to be silent in the face of evil. And by evil, I am not saying that these priests who stray from being the good shepherd that they are called to be, I'm not saying that they are evil. I'm not saying that priests who are not fully alive in the Holy Spirit or in the compassion of Christ are evil. I am saying that the results of them not being fully alive in the Holy Spirit are evil. Sometimes. Sometimes. If it drives anybody away from the church, if it causes someone to lose faith in Christ because they are looking for the good shepherd who is the clergy, the priest who is to represent Christ, if it causes somebody to lose interest in following Christ, that is diabolical. And it happens all too often. But even if it doesn't cause someone to lose their faith in Christ, if it causes someone to be disheartened about going to Mass or if they are feeling hurt, if they are suffering, it's diabolical. Any priest who is listening to this, if you've gotten this far along, I thank you and I praise God for you because you have the humility to listen to this and to ask the Holy Spirit, is what she's saying true about me? And that's the bottom line. We all need to be praying. Come Holy Spirit, fill me. Come, Holy Spirit, help me to be fully the holy person, the saint that you are calling me to be and empowering me to be or desire to empower me to be if I will but humble myself before you and let you change me. Come, Holy Spirit, you have my permission to change me. And come, Holy Spirit, renew the face of the church. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the church, fill my parish I'm saying let's all pray this together for our own parishes. Fill my parish with your Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit and anoint the priest with a special grace from your Holy Spirit. And one last thing, my friend, we need to forgive those who do not have a faith that is fully alive in the Holy Spirit. Those who do cause suffering, we need to forgive. We need to forgive them. And we need to look at ourselves and say, what do I need to change in me? And Holy Spirit, if you are asking us to speak up the truth, speak up about the truth, be our boldness to do so, be our courage, and protect us. Amen. This podcast was made possible by supporters of Good News Ministries who hope to strengthen and build your faith. If this episode speaks to your heart, then I ask you to pass it along to your family and friends. Share it on Facebook and Twitter. Forward it by text and email. And let us know what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. How has this episode made a difference? You can contact me through the Good News Ministries website at gnm.org or by texting me if you are one of our subscribers on WhatsApp. May I ask a favor of you? Please cover this life-changing podcast ministry in your daily prayers. And if you can, 
help me continue making these podcasts by becoming a sponsor. Any donation is helpful, but we are especially seeking sponsors for upcoming episodes. You've been listening to Terry Modica of Good News Ministries. For more faith builders or to learn more about this ministry, come visit our website at gnm.org. You'll find online resources and lots more to help you know the Father's love and grow closer to Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Visit gnm.org today.